Okay, so in Psalm 91, it says, he who dwells, just say the word dwells, dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So that's what you say. You say, my refuge. You, you speak to him like that. So everyone say, my refuge. Everyone say, my fortress. Everyone say, my God. Now everyone say, I trust you. See, even what you just said breaks something off of you when you talk like that. So this is a conditional promise. It says in, in, in verse one and verse two, he who dwells in the shelter, so you dwell. You don't come there on Sundays. You, don't, you just don't come into the shelter of the Almighty when you're driving through your car and you got the worship music playing for your 20-minute commute. You dwell. That means you're praying when you're thinking. It, it means that the thought is like aroma of the incense that's rising from your mind. Everything that's noble, everything that's lovely and pure, think on these things. It says pray without, pray without, how do you do that? God, meet me in my dreams. Even when I'm sleeping, meet me there. God, I'm not ceasing from this place. I'm talking to my boss, but I'm dialoguing with my Holy Spirit. I'm talking to my spouse, but I'm dialoguing with you. There's something about pray without ceasing is how you dwell in the shelter of the Most High. We don't need more services. We need more dwelling. And then it says, if you do this, and then now you have to get your tongue to align with your dwelling. So now you start speaking, I trust you, my fortress. I trust you, my, my refuge. And then if you do that, he will, everybody say will. So when you read the scriptures, you have to pay attention to the language because the Bible is the constitution of the kingdom. It's legal language, and it gives you rights. It gives you privileges according to your ability to exercise them and understand them. So when I read the word will as a parent, if I tell my kids, we will go out to eat later, what I'm saying is stop bothering me. I'm not going to do it on your timeline. Dad's busy. We will go when it's time to go. Am I right? Don't manifest. <laughs> will is a promise. So it says, if you abide in his presence under the shadow of his wings, and then you speak to him and declare him as your refuge, as your strength, as your portion, it says he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from deadly pestilence. Now, snare is a very important picture because it means he will protect you from that which you cannot prepare for. Come on, doomsday preppers. Come on, people with 40 pounds of food in your basement. Come on, find out who they are, mom, so we can survive. <laughs> a snare is a thing that you can't prepare for. And so did you know that even the wisest among us will get caught in a snare? Did you know that even the most brilliant strategist among us cannot always evade a snare? That's why we must come up under the presence of the shadow of the Almighty so that we don't end up in the snare of the fowler. It's the unexpected that will get you. And then it says he will, see this promise language, cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Watch this illustration. So in the New Testament, there's also another occurrence of the word shadow. 
But Peter was walking and it said that his shadow could heal people. But when you study the original Greek, it's not talking about a physical phenomenon. It's actually saying his presence was as if it casted a shadow upon the person that he was walking past. And the reason why that's important is because shadows change atmospheres. So, so run up here real quick, Bella. Or, or Jules, you want to come? Jules? Somebody, somebody. Here, button your shirt up or something. <laughs> Okay, so oh, let me hear you stand behind me. So the lights here are hitting me. Behind Bella, here, go over there where my shadow actually is. So Bella is standing in my shadow. Do you see that? So here's the thing. She has a different reality than anyone else who would stand on this, this stage because my presence dictates the direction of light. So what's happening right now is she is standing in my shadow, which means her experience is different. And if she stayed there long enough, have you ever been in a hot day and you walked in between buildings and it was cool in the alley because there's a shadow that had been covering it for a length of time? See, what happens is even the temperature changes in my shadow. But watch this. She's in my shadow. Now she's not. She's in my shadow. Now she's not because shadows have definable geographic boundaries. You're good. Thanks, babe. So here's what you need to understand. When you dwell under the wing of the Almighty and you abide in his shadow, abiding requires boundaries. And it's not that he changed his position. It's that we change ours. If you are single, do not come up out of yeah, I know. Do not come out from underneath the covering of his wing because when you leave the boundaries of how to sexually satisfy yourself and it's outside the boundaries of covenantial relationship, then you come out from the covering of the Almighty. But if you'll stay under his wing, sometimes church leadership will correct you and they'll get in your business and tell you something you don't want to hear. But don't leave the boundaries of that covering because you're under the shadow of the Almighty if you abide. It's the pottery that stays on the wheel that gets molded. And if you come up off of the wheel, you will end up deformed and deficient. If you get impatient and you say as the pottery to the potter, why are you doing this to me? And you try to get up off the wheel before it's your time. There's something about staying within the geography to stay within the boundaries of what the Lord wants you to stay in. So when I read this, it was conditional. The first two scriptures are in conditions, and then the remainder, several, are promises. Isn't it just like God? You surrender the little that you have, and then he gives you the much that he has. And it just like God, he says, a thousand may fall to one side and 10,000 on the other side, but you will still be standing. Nor He goes, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks at midday, nor the destruction that wastes at new day. He's beginning to give promises. You will be saved because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. You haven't made the Lord your quick fix. You haven't made the Lord your feeling that tantalates and stimulates your emotions when you're 
feeling down. You haven't made the Lord your church conference experience where you go to just get a little bit of deliverance so you can go back into the sin. You haven't. Oh, I know I'm preaching to somebody. You have made the Lord your dwelling place. God, I'm dwelling here. I'm praying when I don't want to pray. I'm fasting when I don't want to fast. I'm reading when I don't want to read. I'm evangelizing when I don't want to evangelize. Not my will, thy will, I'm dwelling. Everybody kept asking me, when are you going to move to Long Island? Why do you stay in New York City? Because there's power in dwelling. Planting your feet and being stubborn and saying, you principalities and powers, you're going to have to contend with me while I live on this block. I'm not going anywhere. Oh, your worst day was when my U-Haul pulled up. Your worst day was when I opened my eyes this morning and decided to speak in tongues. Your worst day happened. I want to terrorize the devil. I want the devil to rue the day that he lost his hold on me. Come on, somebody. But that comes with dwelling here on Long Island we're not going anywhere. We outlasted this music venue when they used to pump their music to the other side, and now we're pumping worship to the other side of every wall. We are going to outlast. There's something about the children of God. We know how to dwell. You hear me? We know how to some enemies you can't kill instantly, but you dwell. You say, okay, let's duke it out. I'm here for the long haul. I'm committed to Northwest Indiana for the long haul. The devil thought I left, and I said, I'm back. I'm back. Stop letting the devil push you around. Dwell. Dwell. So then you go on to Matthew 14, 31. You got Peter walking on the water. Now, here's the thing we know about the character of God. He doesn't do anything, anything, anything normal. Jesus, if he's going to turn water into wine, he turns a lot of water into a lot of wine. Jesus going to feed the 5,000 loaves of bread and fish. Did you ever read that story? He had to send the disciples back to pick up the leftovers from multiplying it for thousands. Is he a God of scarcity or abundance? It's pretty clear to see. So when he calls Peter to walk on water, you think they were going to walk on water 10 steps, 12, 15? No. When I read this for a second time, I think I heard the word dwell. <laughs> I wonder if Jesus was planning a dance party on the waters. Because oftentimes we're the one that limits him. And, and Peter had enough faith to get out of the boat, but not enough to sustain the walk until it turned into a dance. How many of you wake up on a Sunday and you come to V1 Church and you start with faith, but you don't stay there? And so the thing I want to challenge you about is the title of this message is The Real Jesus is Real Rest. And you're not resting in your own ability. You're not resting in your own striving and how much you can hustle. You're resting in what Jesus already finished. And if he called you out of the boat, it's not to take a few steps and fall. It's to dance on that water. And, and, and really, I was... This is full disclosure. I was washing my hands in V1 Indiana and I was thinking, God, there's 2,000 people here. I was ordained for ministry in my early 20s, just a block down from here. Nobody in Indiana could have thought that we'd have 2,000 people in this building. This stuff never happens here. We've got an auditorium number two. And in my mind, I'm washing my hands like, this is so amazing. Immediately, the Lord rebukes me. 
And this is what I heard him say, and I know his voice. He said, oh, ye of little faith. It's like I'm celebrating that the week after Easter, we doubled our attendance numbers. And we're in active revival, and people are getting healed everywhere. And the Lord said, oh, ye of little faith. I'm like, what, Lord? Me? Or the guy in the stall? Maybe that word missed by like a foot and a half. The guy in the crapper, little faith. Not me, God. And the Lord's like, Mike, oh, ye of little faith. Then I begin to look at this scripture a little bit deeper, and I, I wondered, when Jesus grabbed Peter's hand, and he said, oh, oh, ye of little faith. I think it was like I was planning a full-on dance party out here. This was going to be extravagant. Jesus is that kind of savior. And I think for many of you, and this is my warning, don't celebrate what you think is a miracle until you're willing to let God increase it. Because there's an increase when you dwell. And I think that there is a dominion connected to dwelling. The longer we dwell, the more we're developed. The longer we dwell, the more we're developed. The longer in his presence, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, and when the dwelling disconnected, so did the development. And then what began to happen is he started to sink. And this is the last and final thing. He was a fisherman, which means that he would have been referencing all of the experiences he had from his past. He would have been looking, and he would have been saying, all the times that I've been in the water, I had to learn how to swim. All the times I've been here in this place, this is what happened. And what happens is that Peter becomes an expert in the natural realm, but he becomes obsolete and unusable in the spiritual realm. Sometimes your expertise in this dimension cancels your faith in the other dimension. Sometimes you have to forget what you experienced here because if you keep believing you'll get the same response and reaction, you will reinforce it and you will get it again. See, what happened is I show up as a holy agitator and I show up as a disruptor. And when I came to Long Island, I didn't realize what I was telling people is you don't know Long Island in the spiritual realm because I see a church that never has a seat available and I prophesied it with 40 people in the room because I wasn't speaking what was, I was speaking what to come. And see, here's the thing. When 12 spies, when 12 spies went into the promised land, they were all right. 10 of them said, we can't take it, this promised land because there's, there's these giants. And two of them said, we are well able. They were all right. The 10 who said we couldn't do it, never did it. They died before they went in. And the two who said we could, they did. And so whether you believe it's possible or not, you're right. Do you see that? Whether you believe it's possible or not, you're right. So what happens is Peter is forgetting to dwell and he gets distracted. Here's my warning to you in love. Don't get distracted, dwell. Don't get distracted. Dwell. Don't be distracted by what your family members tell you. Don't be distracted with what they say at work. Dwell, 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 dwell in the presence of the Almighty all day, all night. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse 18 says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit, your destiny is to go into ever increasing realms of glory. 
Do you hear me? Your destiny is to go from glory to glory to glory. The 70 and 80 and 90 year old version of you should be operating at a higher level of glory than the version of you right now. See, it says that there's a mirror and we begin to see our face and our face is being transformed into the same image. And as it's being transformed, it changes and it begins to be elevated into a higher realm of glory. This is why it says from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit specifically says the Lord, the spirit, not the Lord, the man, because the things of the spirit transform you. And God is trying to transform you. In John 11, there's this man named Lazarus from Bethany, and he's dead. Jesus finds out about it, and he says, this sickness is not meant by death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And then Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Sometimes there's a dwelling that's necessary because the dwelling is connected to the development. Lazarus had to die because it was in his death that Jesus was going, to, his resurrection power was gonna be displayed. But there is a lesson about dwelling. Jesus, out of his love, took two more days. It wasn't cruelty. And many of you are saying, God, when? When, God, when? When? And God says, the dwelling produces development. And when I'm done, it will bring me more glory. When I resurrect you in my timing, when I resurrect you, when I say it's time, that will produce a glory. It will glorify me. And so here's the thing. You, ugh, you want God to do it when you want to do it. And that will actually glorify you. But if you wait for him to do it when he's ready to do it, it will glorify him. This is a good word. This is a good word. God is not late. Oh, he's never early. I will tell you that much. But he's always on time. And I believe that when Peter was looking at him, Jesus was saying, dwell. Come and dwell on the water. Let's dwell. Let's dwell. Let's take dominion over the deep. Let's cause all of the creatures like Leviathan and everything in the water to be under our feet symbolically that the warfare is complete. But he took his eyes and he stopped dwelling. And when you stop dwelling, you lose dominion. There's a connection between dominion and dwelling. There's a connection between development and dwelling. And so God is working in you development and dominion so that you can remain, remain. Hebrews 10, I'm gonna look at two more verses. We're done. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. I need a chair. So this, the law that they were practicing, and you know, people got so religious during resurrection Easter season. And so many times we need to be brought back and people right now are, oh, I don't observe. I observe the feast. There's a big movement in the deliverance community. I observe the feast. I, I observe Passover. Well, bless you. But it, obviously, it's been a while since you've read the book of Hebrews. 
because what Hebrews clearly said was that even in religiously observing those things over and over and over and over, it has no ability to increase your perfection. It has no ability to make perfect those who draw near. So you are not better than those who do not celebrate the feasts. You are not better than those who do not celebrate Passover or go back to the Jewish roots of Christianity. You are not better because Hebrews says, even in doing all of that, it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Now, when you go down to Hebrews chapter 10, just go down to verse 12, it says this. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He performed his ultimate sacrifice, the one to save us all. And, and everybody emphasizes the right hand of God, but this is what I want to emphasize. Jesus resurrected and then he sat down. And I know that for the last couple of weeks, we've said where there's the true Jesus, there's true deliverance. Where there's the true Jesus, there's true healing. I want to offer up something else. Where there's the true Jesus, there's true rest. And, and some of you have not learned how to be seated in heavenly places. How to be seated in Christ's authority. Because taking a seat is like saying there is a military and that military is going to fight. But for me, I've got to take a seat because I'm in dominion and authority. And I was telling the story, I've got this coach that's helping me with my health. And I have this band around my chest that monitors my heart rate while I work out. And coach JT, you think I rebuke you, you really bad? He rebukes me so bad. And he's always telling me, Mike, you're, you need a lot of help. I lost like 20 pounds and like 17 pounds in the last month. He's like, you still have a surplus of fat, but we're working on it. I'm like, JT, my wife likes me big. But this band around my chest, you know, probably like six months ago, I started feeling anxiety like a band around my chest. And it was funny because I was like, man, Lord, I need to work on my diet. I need to work on stuff. This is very unusual for me to feel this. I also think prophetically there was a lot happening in my life that I was processing. And then when I worked with uh, Coach JT, he mailed me this physical band that goes around my chest, the same place I was feeling that anxiety. And I was like, wow, Lord, you're doing something. And he was monitoring my heart while I was doing these workouts. And I'm supposed to keep my heart rate above 110 and below 130 for one hour. And he, he rebuked me and he said, Mike, he goes, first, all your workouts were too short. So you were in the right bandwidth for your heart rate, but you weren't going long enough. And he goes, and you're not going to burn fat. And you're not going to get in shape. He said, then I'm looking at your newest readings and you all know anybody else like me, you try to game the system. Always trying to game the system. So I said, well, if I just, in my mind, I said, if I crank my heart rate up to like 150, surely I'll do some damage, you know? So then he said, but Mike, your last several workouts, your heart rate's too high and you're burning oxygen and not fat and you're wearing yourself out and it's not gonna get the results. So I literally went on two ends of the spectrum, not enough remaining in the workout. And then the other end of the spectrum was I was pushing so hard. It was to the detriment of my health. It wasn't good for me. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, teach, teach my people how to dwell. 
in Christianity, if you're striving, warfare prayers, fasting, I'm gonna scream at the ceiling, I'm gonna manipulate this situation, I'm gonna do whatever I can to get it done. You're getting your heart rate all the way up to 140 and the Lord will say, bring it down because you've not made any room for me and I wanna show my power, I wanna show my glory. Let make room for me, bring it down. And then there's others where we don't go long enough in his presence, we don't dwell and we get up too soon and he'll call us back and say, whoa, 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 you left too soon, you were just getting ready to have a breakthrough, but you, you didn't stay long enough. You gotta make more time, you gotta dwell. And there's something about sitting and wherever the real Jesus is, there is real rest. And for me, even casting out demons, I've been doing it since the late 90s, but it wasn't until a year ago where the Lord was like, Mike, I'm gonna give you a greater authority to cast out even stronger demons with more ease, but I need you to back up. And so I remember he told me, stop yelling, come out and just say it one last time and stand back. And then by my finger, I'll cast it out. And the first time I did it, I paused and I stood back. And within a few seconds, the demon started screaming and it left the person. I was like, whoa, that was crazy. I've been doing this for 20 years. But what was happening was I was learning to dial it down and just sit in heavenly places. Does that make sense? So it's like for some of you on the end of the spectrum, you need to dial it up. You need to go deeper. And some of you just need to learn how to rest because that spirit of idolatry, the pharisaical spirit, the spirit that thinks you're holier than thou because, but you know, you know this, thank you, Holy Ghost. Bring the music down a second, then we're gonna pray. You know the same spirit that'll tell you that you're better than everyone else because you fasted more, read your Bible more, prayed more, evangelized more, that is the same demon that will condemn you and call you a sinner as soon as you screw up. Do you know that? The spirit of condemnation it is literally the same spirit of religion. And so when people are like, you know, when the people are saying like, I don't know, the religious people, because it's weird now, because it's like now you have on fire people, but those on fire people are turning into Pharisees real quick. And I feel like this word is for the kingdom to say, wait a second, once you make one minute mistake, that same spirit that empowered you through religious observation is also gonna torment you with condemnation. Is that wisdom? Yeah, thank you. So right now with this word, I'm really trying to help you understand that Peter was not gonna walk on the water because he was a genius and he figured out the physics of the water. We know that. But he also wasn't gonna walk on the water because he was more spiritual than the rest of the disciples. He was given that permission because he asked but he lost it because he didn't dwell. So I feel like what the Lord wants me to say to many of you is you have to learn how to dwell. And if you keep feeling this pit in your stomach, it's because you're creating your own anxiety and worry and God wants to unravel that like a ball of yarn and just let you dwell. There's something about dwelling. When the day started every day, Jesus separated himself from his disciples. He did this as recorded for at least three years, and he would dwell in the presence of God. And from that place, he would do all of his ministry. It was so important, he never violated it. So there's got to be a time where we understand, this is what I wanna end on. You know when somebody's encountered the real Jesus because they get 
a real deliverance because they get a real healing. But the third installment of this sermon is this, and we're going to pray. It's because they enter real rest. And when I'm with people who start telling me their whole resume and they, and it's the first time I've ever met them, the first thing I think is what, why, why are they proving to me who they are? I already see who they are in the spirit. You have nothing to prove to me. I'm a son and you're a son. We're all children of God. I, 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 what are you trying to do? What door are you trying to open? What are you politicking? There's, there's something about the real Jesus produces real rest. And people who know him say, I don't have to front. I don't, I don't care what you think. For some of you guys, one of the reasons why it's so hard for you to evangelize is because you haven't dwelt yet with the real Jesus. Because when you dwell with the real Jesus, it's so easy to evangelize because you're like, first of all, I don't care what you think at all. But second of all, what I have is so good. And what I just experienced in the secret place, in that dwelling place, I need you to know about it because it'll change your whole life. And if they throw the F-bomb and they tell you, get away from me, you just laugh. You're like, whatever, man, because I know what I've experienced. So this third and final installment is dwell. Dwell. The real Jesus is real rest. And it's there's something about If God wants me to walk through that door, he will open it because if he opens it, nobody can close it. Do you hear what I'm saying? If God wants me to be in that relationship, God will cause that relationship to pass because then once he establishes a covenantial relationship, we will now begin to build together. I am resting in him. That doesn't mean the absence of work. It's the presence of peace in your work. Resting. Do you feel this? Okay, you guys can play. I'm sorry. You can play again. I just had to get that out. I'm trying more and more not to preach to people's emotions. I'm trying to preach to your spirit. Because if I can preach to your spirit, your emotions will follow your spirit. Oh, I feel the anointing on that. That's how I live my whole life. You think, I've, you think I want to do everything I do? If, you can, if I can get through to your spirit your emotions will follow your spirit. Oh, I, the other day, I did a little bit of self-deliverance. And I was walking down the street and I was doing one of my prayer walks. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit spoke to me because I was like, Lord, is there anything I'm hiding from you? Is there anything I'm not showing you? Is there anything I'm avoiding? Or this is me. Is there anything I'm avoiding? And the Holy Spirit said, oh yeah, doubt. Worry. I said, oh, he got me. (laughs) I said, Lord, I've been so worried. I've been so worried. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me again. He said, but you understand worry is a sin, not an emotion. You're sinning. Worry is a sin, not a feeling. And he says, Mike, your culture has defined worry as a feeling. And they've normalized worry. They did it 2,000 years ago, and I commanded my disciples not to worry. Tomorrow has its own evils. Tomorrow will take care of it. And he goes, Mike, you're in sin. You've been in blatant. <laughs> You've been in blatant, reoccurring sin. You know, listen, used to be lust, then it was alcoholism. 
You know, sometimes you think you've made it, right? I've arrived. I don't need deliverance. The Lord's like, yeah, you do. You know, there's a scripture that says, give no place to the devil. And that place, the, the Greek for that is a geographic boundary. It's just like the shadow of the Almighty. And see, what happens is I could give the devil no place in my sexuality, but I can give him a place in my intellect. I could give him no, you see, there's different compartments, different doors, different windows. And he'll say, I'm just looking for a place. I, I don't even have to have the whole thing. Sometimes he's like, I don't want the country. Just give me a state. And I was your pastor. I'm your pastor and I'm sinning every day. And the sin was called worry. And I said, Lord, forgive me for worry. Forgive me, Lord. I, I haven't been trusting you. I haven't been believing that you can do it. Forgive me for sinning, for worry. All of a sudden, the Lord showed me, he said, you know why your dad smoked? Because his sin was worry and his salvation was cigarettes. Do you know why his dad smoked? Because his sin was worry and his salvation was cigarettes. And the Lord showed me a generational curse of worry on my father's side. I've never seen it. I've been doing deliverance on myself, on other people. I've never seen it. And the Lord said, face it, son. Face it, son. You have to live without worry. And then he told me, he said, your worship is about to increase when you conquer worry through my blood. And I'm going to turn worry into worship. And man, I repented. I started doing self-deliverance, walking down the street of Queens. These people think I'm schizophrenic sometimes. <laughs> you know, that's the best, the best part about doing prayer walks in Indiana. We're all crazy. I look at me too, bro. Me too. We're all crazy. But I was casting these things out of me and I'm like, Lord, I, I don't know. But see, then what happened was I just learned how to be seated. And the Lord said, just sit, son. Just sit in your authority. Just sit in the dominion. Just sit in the place that I've given you. Just learn how to sit. And that's when I saw Hebrews chapter 10 and it just came alive to me. I'm like, wow, Jesus sat down to model for me what it's like to sit down. And so I wanna pray for you now as we come to a close. And I know that we all struggle with worry. I believe that as your leader, I had to go first because times are getting darker, but we're not gonna worry because a thousand may fall to one side and 10,000 to the other. I'll still be here because the Lord is holding me up. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, I thank you across every campus that we don't have to worry. Father, that we are seated in heavenly places. And Lord, I thank you that our worry turns into worship that our worry turns into wonder. And Father, that we will not operate in little faith, but God, we will learn to dance as we enter into dominion. Father, I thank you that we will stay through the development because we know how to dwell because the real Jesus is real. Rest, rest from religion. Rest from, from all of the traditions of men. Rest from our own 
self-condemning thoughts. Rest, God, and we are seated in authority in heavenly places with you, Jesus. And we thank you and we praise you and all of the church across every location shouted. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Let's just give God a hand clap. Come on, let's thank him. Come on, Yeshua.